0: Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Saturday, July the 8th, 2023. It is currently 1.49 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. Now, if you've been listening to this podcast, you know I took a week and I traveled to Boston. And you know when I was in Boston, then I took just a little short trip from Boston to Salem. Anytime I'm in Boston, I take a trip to Salem because I, once again, if you've listened to this podcast or if you know me, you know that I am absolutely fascinated by the Salem Witch Trials. I am fascinated by that well i i think i think it's safe to call it an abs the absolute failure of puritanism i think i think it's absolutely fair to say salem was a complete and utter failure of the puritans idea of a city on a hill on a on a a, a righteous utopia that was you know going to show what it looks like when people live you know, according to the word of God, under the law of God kind of mindset, it it turned into a complete and total disaster. People were falsely accused, people were murdered, and there was a million other issues going on in that city as well. So I am a I I I don't want to say that I have committed or dedicated large portions of my life to studying everything that happened in Salem, but there are these periods of time where I go to Salem and I I am absolutely consumed by it while I am there. And then at least for a week or two, maybe sometimes a month after, I continue to read and read and read. And when I'm at Salem, I'm reading and looking up and visiting anything and everything I can to, to just learn more history about what happened there and and I, I look at it. You know, to me, you know, the Chris, Christianity loves to spend a lot of its time. Just think about this. Christianity loves to spend a lot of its time. And just generally speaking, not every Christian, not in every every situation, but. Christians in general love to condemn what the world is doing. The world is evil. The world is evil. The world is under the control of Satan. The world is blinded by Satan. The world, the world, they're they're unrighteous. They're sinners. They're ungodly. They reject the law of God. They're rebellious. They are are blinded by Satan. They're under the control of Satan. They're children of Satan. The the, the church, for 2,000 years, We've been pointing our little bony finger at the world, condemning it and calling out its unrighteousness. But church history is filled with these stories of the abject failures that happened within Christianity. And we're not so willing to live up to that or own up to it or admit it. Because many Christians have this mindset that once again, when you become a Christian, Dun, dun, da Now your eyes are open. Dun, dun, now you have supernatural powers, basically, that you can obey the law. Now you can do it. And so that we don't like to acknowledge the failures over and over and over. Where Salem in 1692 is an example of where, well, there you are, the God's word, the, 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 the scriptures and holiness and church. And next thing you know, people are backbiting and gossip and slandering and falsely accusing and bearing false witness and stabbing each other in the back. And people are dying. It, it, is, it, is, it is a horrible, horrible, it's just a horrible story. So I, of course, I love going to Salem. I could probably spend, who knows how much time I could spend there. I mean, I'm I'm assuming after so much time, I could be like, okay, I think I've seen everything there is to see. I, I, you know, I'm still, I I still haven't gone through all the walking tours, not even close. Um, I think I have now, I think I've seen basically every major museum and major site. I haven't gone to uh, Salem Village. Um, that, that was, there was a, there was two or three things that were closed when I was there this time. They were only open on the weekends or opened every day starting in like October. So there was a couple of things I missed. So I, I, there, there's just a few more things to, to kind of mark off my ultimate list. And then I can say, I think I've seen everything in Salem related to the Salem witch trials. I think I, I, I'm getting close. I still got a ways to go, but not, not too far. So I, I, I'm not going to say by any means that I'm some expert. Don't pretend that. I would love to sit down with those who are experts on Salem and, and just walk around Salem with the experts saying, OK, about that and this and that. You know, obviously things change in a city and, and you know, a lot of history is not preserved. A lot of history is gone. And uh, But I I still am fascinated by it. And And, and maybe... I, I, the more I think about it, I'm probably more fascinated by it because I, I'm a Christian because of my years of study of theology and church history. And, you know, and from all the schools I've gone to and over and over the Puritans, the Puritans, the Puritans, the Puritans, they were righteous. They were godly. The Puritans, the Puritans, the Puritans. And I heard that. Basically, most of my Christian life, you know, get the Puritan paperbacks, read the Puritans. Now, I would still tell you to read the Puritans. I would still tell you to study the Puritans. They make up a major part of church history. They should be studied. They should be read. But you can't just understand and read the theology of the Puritans and separate that from what happened in Salem, because what happened in Salem to me shows the failure of a lot of maybe the Puritan ideas. Now we could have that debate, but it can't be ignored. And and if I think about my Christian life, I heard about the Puritans, heard heard about the Puritans, heard about the Puritans, told to buy their books, read, read, study the Puritans. But I don't think I ever once was told, Hey, the Puritans were in charge when people were murdered and accused of being witches who clearly weren't witches. (laughs) Okay. That like you, you never get that balanced uh, perspective. But what I want to do today is I want to talk about something that came up everywhere I went in Salem, everywhere I went. It didn't matter. I think I saw it at, at, at the witch, at the witch house, which again really should be called the judge house because, all right, but all right, I die. I'm not going to go through everything. The dungeon museum, the witch history museum, the walking tour. It didn't matter where I was at in Salem. If I was anywhere in Salem at anything closely attached to or remotely affiliated with the witch trials in any way, shape or form, this, these two words would come up over and over and over again. Spectral evidence. Spectral evidence. And it would come up over and they would always stop to kind of define what they were meaning. Spectral evidence. And then in a lot of my reading, over and over this this word, spectral evidence or the this person's specter. And, and it would come up over and over and over and over and over, and over again. Now, if we just look up the word specter or spectral, we look up the word spectral. The word spectral is defined as this, of or like a ghost, of or like a ghost, spectral evidence of or like a ghost, spectral is of or like a ghost. So what do we mean by spectral evidence, the evidence from a ghost? Like, what are are we talking about? Well, if you go to the Salem Witch Museum website, SalemWitchMuseum.com, and if you go to their, like, Frequently Asked Questions section, I think it's that section, or maybe it's in their blog. On February the 15th, 2013, they posted an article entitled Spectral Evidence. Spectral evidence, and I thought this was interesting. This is what they they wrote on, uh, on this article. Among the most common questions were asked is, now this is the Salem Witch Museum in Salem. And the most common question they're asked is this. What is spectral evidence and what role did it play in the Salem Witch Trials? Now, I th- I think that's interesting that that's one of the most common questions asked. What is spectral evidence? What is spectral evidence? Because you could and I think I can see why. When you when you're hearing all of this crazy stuff and you're and and you're like, how many people were put to death? Wait, two dogs were put to death? People were hung? What what was happening? How uh, how could these people be found guilty? And the answer is over and over and over, spectral evidence. They were found guilty. They were arrested on the basis of spectral evidence. So what is it? Well, the museum, the Salem Witch Museum, they say, first, let's get to a definition. And they go to uslegal.com. uslegal.com. And they're going to quote from State versus Dustin, 1982. All right, here we go. Spectral evidence refers to a witness testimony that the accused person's spirit or spectral shape appeared to him or her witness in a dream at the time the accused person's physical body was at another location. Let me read this again. This is so important to understanding what happened during the witch trials. And this evidence was used in which tra- uh, witch trial in England before, I think like seven years before Salem. I think I have the date written down somewhere. But here we go. Spectral evidence refers to a witness testimony that the accused person's spirit or spectral shape appeared to him or her in a dream at the time the accused person's physical body was at another location. So let's say your name is... Let's say your name is, I don't know, Laura. Your name is Laura. Your name is Laura. Okay, Laura. And and you start making an accusation against, let's say, Susan. All right, so Laura starts making an accusation against Susan. What you say is that Susan's spectral, specter, Susan's spectral spirit, her spirit appeared to me and tormented me that I was in my house and then all of a sudden I saw the spectral evidence I saw the specter I saw the the spirit of Susan in my house and she pinched me or she hit me or she bit me or she pushed me or she tried to get me to sign a book or she tried to shove me into the fire now so now now just think about this you as Laura can just say hey Susan Susie whatever name we want to go with her, her specter, her spectral spirit showed up. Her, like, ghost showed up in my house. And you can just make that accusation and she could be possibly accused then of being a witch. Now, that's crazy because Susan, Susie, whomever we want to use could say wait a minute i got 15 people saying that i was n- i was in a different town I-, I was i was in my bed i i was i was cleaning the house i was cooking doesn't matter doesn't matter if they weren't physically present all you have to do is make the accusation that their spirit that their spirit showed up in your house and tormented you caused you pain caused you grief caused you to go into a fit tried to do Do some harm to you. And then they would be like, oh, that person, Susan, Susie, she gave, she gave permission to the devil to use her spirit, her spectral, her specter to go to Laura's house to torment her, to cause grief, pain, or whatever the case may be. You think about how utterly crazy that is. No, therefore, no physical proof is required. No physical evidence is required. You can just accuse anyone, someone you don't like, someone in the church who bothers you, someone's land that maybe you're trying to take. I mean, there was a lot. I mean, once you get into the Salem Witch Trials, you can see that there was some clearly very, let's, let's say, fleshly and ungodly motivations uh, that were involved in all of this. So let's read this a little bit again. All right. What is spectral evidence? Here we go. Let's read this again. Spectral evidence refers to a witness testimony that the accused person's spirit or spectral shape appeared to him or her, right, to the witness, in a dream at the time the accused person's physical body was in another location. It was accepted in the courts during the Salem witch trials. The evidence was accepted on the basis that the devil and his minions were powerful enough to send their spirits or specters to pure religious people in order to lead them astray. And spectral evidence, the admission of victims' conjectures, is governed only by the limits of their fear and imagination, whether or not objectively proven facts are forthcoming to justify them. They don't need objective facts, all right? Exactly. Someone just said, there is no way to defend yourself against accusations like that. Absolutely. There was no way to defend yourself. Absolutely no way to defend yourself. And no matter what they said, no matter what they did, they were found guilty and they were hung. They were killed. Because of these crazy accusations, so teenage girls could go fall on the floor, go through all of these things, and like, I see the specter of so and so. Their they're spirit, they're 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 forcing me to do this. And then people are like round up the posse. Let's go get Susie. Let's go, Susie. Your specter was in 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 the house tormenting my kids. You witch! I mean, lit- I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to make light of it, but that's literally how insane it was. Like it, you can't even believe that this ever happened in any real meaningful way. But just just keep remembering that a little bit more here. Now, there's another phrase that you may not be familiar with. There's another phrase that I heard over and over and over. All right. You, uh, you maybe you're familiar with this. All right. Here we go. All right. Here we go. See if, if you are familiar with this phrase. Oyer and Terminé. 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 Aurier and Terminé. Now, if you looked at it, you probably, you probably may, Orior you probably would come up with the the right pronunciation. If you saw how Terminé is spelled, you may not. But Aurier and Terminé, if you don't know what it is, is a commission authorizing a British judge to hear and determine criminal cases, all right? It's a higher criminal court in some cases. So Aurier Aurier and Terminé was basically the kind of trial that was held in, um, in, Salem, Boston, and uh, many of those areas. Aurier and Terminé, a court of Ori and Terminé f- formed in June of 1692 for the purpose of hearing cases awaiting in Boston's jails backlogged with char, uh, while the charter with England was being hammered out. Recognize that now these courts, the court of Aurier and Terminé formed in June 1692. Now this is important. Because they were backlogged, because there was this charter with England that was in dispute and it was being rescinded. There was all kinds of political intrigue and, and things going on as a broader historical context to what was going on in Salem with everyone being accused of being a witch, all right? So they formed this kind of court, Aurier and Termine, to get rid of the backlog, all right? Now, they, this court recognized spectral evidence, despite that it was not in keeping with the generally accepted procedure at the time. I want you to hear this. This was not the normal general accepted procedure at the time. And once they start allowing spectral evidence in, well, this this is the perfect recipe. This sets up now the, the historical context and where people are going to start being killed in Salem. Uh, in law and people in colonial America, Peter Charles Hoffer offers this characterization the result of having laymen on the high court benches might be swift and sensible justice. Massachusetts Superior Court justices, such as Samuel Seawall, were deeply moral men concerned about the quality of their performance. Seawall was typical of the best lay judges, well-traveled, well-schooled, much-respected, and experienced in colonial government and hearing and deciding lawsuits, if not learned in the law. In the Salem Witch Trials of 1692, the judges, including Seawall, Departed from current learned English practice and did so with tragic consequences. There were no trained lawyers on the bench, but all believed that there was a devil and that he contacted, contracted secretly with men and women to do his evil work in the colony. Thus, at least in theory, witches had the power to leave their bodies in spectral form, assault their Victims. Now, uh, now, again, that that they, they they when they created these courts, this Oria and terminate courts, and they begin to basically they just left all the rules and they allowed the spectral evidence. And because the whole thing was, in fact, if you go back and try to read many of the sermons at that time, and I wish I had a greater collection of sermons. From maybe Boston, Salem from around sixteen ninety to sixteen, say ninety five. It'd be a great if someone compiled most of those would probably be in um uh, public domain. That'd be a good book to compile all of those sermons because it would offer the, philo- the philological background. Really you had three things going on in Salem, if you think about it. You had this 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 court this Aurier and terminate kind of court and allowing of spectral evidence. You had that going on. No way you could get around it. You had great tragedy occur because I think it was the smallpox epidemic that killed like half of the population in Salem, not long before the Salem witch trials. So you've got some legal things changing. You got tragedy. And then you got the theology of the time. And the theology of the time basically was, Look, God wants us to be a city on a hill. We we are establishing basically a a law and a a society, you know, where God will be glorified and people will live for him. And basically a very like a Christian nationalistic approach. I I don't think there's any way to get around that. You know, they want their laws to be governed, basically follow the scriptures and establishing their law and punishing people. But this is the whole thing with their theology. Satan is out to get us. The devil's trying to destroy us. We must fight the devil to preserve the city on the hill, to preserve this moral utopia, to preserve this basically Christian nationalistic idea, even though they wouldn't have used that term. Satan is everywhere. Satan is out to destroy us. Satan is out to get us. We got to be on the lookout. Satan will destroy us. So you got now a legal system where spectral evidence is okay. Now you've got fear and paranoia because half the population has died because of an epidemic. And of course, it was very common for them then to say, Satan did this. Satan is trying to kill us, right? So you can blame Satan. And then you've got kind of the theology of the time. This creates a very interesting recipe. And you have to kind of put all of that together. The following passage Is uh, from a work called The Salem Witch Trials, A Legal History, A Legal History, pages 78, 78 and 79. Now, they mentioned Mather here, which I'm assuming they're referring to Cotton Mather. Uh, his father was what? Increase Mather, I think, was the name of his father. So they just they just jump into page seventy eight without identifying the Mather here. But I believe it's Cotton Mather. Uh, Mather elected to straddle the spectral evidence controversy rather than resolve it. Mather fretted. Our neighbors at Salem are blown up after a sort with an infernal gunpowder under the floor. What could that mean? To use the reference may be obscure, but his fellow Puritans, but to his fellow Puritans, the implications were obvious. In 1605, a band of Roman Catholics driven to despair by King James' persecution of their faith, tried to blow up the English uh, houses of Parliament. The plan was discovered in the last minute and the conspirators were executed. But the gunpowder plot became a symbol among the Protestants of the danger of Roman Catholicism posed to English Protestantism. In 1689, Parliament drove James II, a Roman Catholic, from the throne of England and replaced him with a Dutch Protestant, William of Orange, and James' daughter, Mary, William's wife. They were to rule jointly. A war followed in which Protestants battled Roman Catholics at home and abroad. Don't you see how, Isn't it great how religion makes everyone better and godly and holy and wonderful? Okay, all right. Never mind. All right, so uh, this was the war that brought the Indians and their French Roman Catholic allies to the doorstep of Salem. Now there was also some things happening around Salem where you had the 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 uh, native the Indians. We'll call them, refer to them as Indians, and the French. And there was war and there was the people that had been kidnapped. There was a lot of things going on as as well at that time. Thus, the Puritans saw Roman Catholicism as a continuing powerful threat to Protestantism in England and the survival of Protestant of Puritanism in New England. They also believed that Roman Catholic priests were in league with the devil. Reports of priests and Indians worshiping the devil before they attacked Massachusetts towns regularly made the rounds uh, of the colony. So you've got, uh, uh, you could add this to the mix of all the things going on. But the problem of spectral evidence remained for the only ones who could see the witches in their spectral form and thus say who it was that caused their pain were the accusers themselves. That's the thing. The only people who could see the spectral evidence was the accuser. You could have 15 people in the room, right? Someone could be acting out, falling on the floor, going, their specter is here. Their form is here. Their spirit is here. And they and the people in the room would ask the person, you know, in pain, who do you see? Who is it? And then they would name the person and they'd be like, let's go get them. Their specter is here. Their sp- it's spectral evidence. And you would be like, but the accuser's the only one who can see it. Isn't that convenient? <laughs> okay, Here, Mather could find no answer in his library. He must leave it and enter the world of ordinary people. No abstract theory or obtruse theology could dictate common accepted contemporary notions of the truth of testimony. Even while most people had misgivings, About the validity and use of supernatural proof, Cotton Mathers, I knew that's who they were referencing, cited a precedent from 1664, wherein Matthew Hale asserts that such evidence is suitable in cases of necessity. Mather interprets in particular the political crisis of the colony and the terrors of war, war against the devil, War against the Popish French and their Indian allies were the same in his mind. The soul killing witches that deformed the body uh, and uh, shared form. So he was like, hey, we're in the middle of a war, so spectral evidence is necessary. We've got to use it. It's in a case of an emergency. That. And because some would argue, depending on which museum you go to and which tour guide you're listening to, some would say, well, Cotton Mather tried to argue against spectral evidence, but then you got other cases where he seemed to support it. He seems somewhat conflicted. Maybe maybe others, you know, is he a hero? Is he a villain? Yeah, there's lots of articles written about Cotton Mather that you can explore. Uh, let's see here. Uh yeah, okay, they, they got some more information here, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go here. Again, that is at the Salemwitchmuseum.com. The a whole thing about spectral evidence. And that's the again the Salem Witch Museum. And they, they have a whole thing about spectral evidence because if you go to Salem, you need to know about spectral evidence. You need to know about it because it's really such a major part of what was happening. Uh, In 1692. Now, here's another article about spectral evidence. Spectral evidence is a form of evidence based upon the testimony of those who claim to have experienced visions. Such testimony were frequent given during the witch trials of the 16th and 17th century. Um, a A lot of that time, this is the kind of testimony and evidence that was being presented. The alleged victims of witchcraft would claim to have been tormented by the spectral images of certain of certain named members of the community that was taken as evidence that those named were witches and had given the devil permission to assume their appearance. If accepted by a court, this testimony was virtually impossible to refute. However, spectral evidence was rarely used to secure a conviction as theologians were unable to agree that the devil could not take on the shape of an innocent person. The the debate about the validity of spectral evidence rose to a climax with the Barry St. Edmund's witch trial of 1662. Now, once again, spectral evidence was being used and just so that you know even though there was a lot of back and forth right the jury found denny and colander guilty of 13 of the 14 charges brought against them and they were sentenced to death by hanging all right so that's uh, that's 1662 all right spectral evidence showed up the the judge tried to try to say only only consider this but they were found guilty and well the next thing you know people are being hung then we jump to the Salem Witch Trials, which began in February of 1692. When four children of Salem, Massachusetts, began suffering from fits and complained about being bitten and pinched by invisible agents. When pressed to name their assailants, they accused Sarah Good, Sarah Osborne, and the slave Tituba. Some say Tituba, but I think it's Tichuba crying out that they are specters and their shapes did grievously torment them. They're specters. They're being tormented by their specters. Now, these are young girls just making accusations. And then the adults are like, let's believe the young girls and let's go arrest these people. And let's put them in prison that are horrible conditions. And let's torture them until they give us. I mean, like the whole thing is just crazy. Brought before the magistrates, Good and Osborne denied the charges, but Tituba confessed. She claimed to have been coerced by the devil into hurting the children. She had also been threatened by a tall man in black clothes who made her sign a name and a book. She said that Good and Osborne were also witches and described their familiars, which no one else could see. So not only did you have the specter, you had what's called the familiars. Now, the familiars in Europe and European folklore uh, of the medieval and early modern period, familiars, familiar spirits are, 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 are familiar spirits as familiar also meant just close friend or companion and may be seen in scientific name for dog. All right. But they were believed to be supernatural entities or spiritual guardians that would protect and or assist witches. So not only did you have the specter, you had their supposed familiars. So you could be like, there, I saw their specter show up and they did these things. Oh, and I saw their familiar. It was a bird. It was a dog. It was a cat. So you could just, I mean, only thing limiting your accusation was your own imagination. Now, Tichiba was probably smart because she was a slave. She was smart to what she kind of did was make a confession, but hold out information. So they had to keep her alive to get more information and to get more information. She was she was probably smart. Those who said, no, I'm not guilty. I didn't do it. Well, they were going to die. Tichaba kind of said, hey, I will confess. and And I'm paraphrasing this, but I've got some more information. I can't tell you now, but give me a little bit more time. So they were brought before the magistrates. Good and Osborne denied the charges. Tichiba confessed. She claimed to have been coerced by the devil and hurting the children. She also had been threatened by a tall man in black clothes who made her sign her name in a book. She said that Good and Osborne were also witches and described their familiars, which no one else could see. See how convenient that is? Good's was a yellow bird and Osborne's were... Two grotesque creatures. While this testimony was being given, the children broke out into fits. And Tichuba claimed to see the specter of Sarah and Good attacking them. So in the court, while the testimony is happening, the kids are, are you know, losing their minds. They're acting out. And then Tituba could be, oh, 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 I see what's happening. See, it's those other two. Their specters are attacking them. Nobody else in the court can see it. Now, in one of the I think the dungeon museum that we went to, they first took us like into a meeting house where they acted out some of the trial and uh, the acting was pretty good. And and it gives you just how how crazy uh, the whole whole situation was. All three women were indicted and were returned to jail to await trial. This was the beginning of the mass hysteria which saw numerous residents of Salem and surrounding towns arrested on charges of witchcraft. Tituba's confession had a far-reaching influence and set the tone for later claims against the accused. It was often said that the apparitions of the suspected witches had tried to compel their victims to write their names in a book. And both, and both the man and black and the yellow bird were seen in the company of several accused, including Matthew Corey, Martha Corey, uh, Rebecca no- Nurse, and Sarah Cloyce. Uh, another prominent form of spectral evidence was the uh, appearance of the spirits of the dead as minister, and I don't know exactly how to say his name, Deodat D-E-O-D-A-T, Lawson. Deodat Lawson. Now, he's important. Deodat Lawson. You may want to write that name down. D e. O D A D. if I can spell it right. D E O D A T. D O DAT DAT Lawson L A W S O N. L A W S O N. Let me spell that all again. D-O-D-A-T, D-E-O-D-A-T, DAT Lawson L A W S O N. Now, why am I mentioning D.O. Lawson? One, I don't think his name was ever mentioned at any of the places I went to in Salem. He was just a forgotten person and all of this, which I, I, I can see why he wasn't one of the major characters. But he's important when it comes to spectral evidence and a lot of other things. And not only that, let me pull up my Kindle here. I believe it was, what date was this? believe it was March the 24th. Yeah, March the 24th, 1692. March the 24th, 1692. It was a Thursday. March the 24th, 1692. It was a Thursday in Salem. March the 24th, 1692. It was a Thursday in Salem. That Thursday was Salem's Village regular turn to host the weekly lecture and nearly everyone present for this morning's examinations. So basically almost everyone was present. This is Salem Village, Thursday, March the 24th, 1692. People from all the surrounding area remained to hear it. So, so they had these like weekly lectures and in, in some of the towns and it was Salem Village's turn to host it, right? Diodat Lawson was the invited speaker. He chose the topical text, Zechariah chapter three, verse two. And the Lord said unto Satan, "The Lord rebuked thee, O Satan. Is not this a brand plucked out of the fire?" It was a passage where Satan about to accuse a man was himself shunted aside and the man's sins forgiven. Now, this is why I think finding all the sermons that were preached in around, I would say 1691 to about 1695 in Boston and Salem would have been very important because that had been formulating the philological mindset of the people. Well, here he is, March the 24th, 1692. Now, the trials began in February. So this is right in the you know, in the midst of everything, all right? So he's going to preach on this. Now, here's a little bit of what one book says, all right? This is the Salem Witch Trials, a day-by-day chronicle. Lawson reminded his listeners how Satan's constant malice opposed anyone and anything that might comfort humanity here or save them hereafter. Being a spirit, Satan could strike not only the body to induce natural illnesses or violent tortures, but it could also strike the mind by raising mist of darkness and ignorance in the understanding and by false representations to the eyes or at the soul by luring it to corruption The Satan might also directly by suggestions to the victim's minds or indirectly through the mortal converts, the witches who let the devil use their bodies and minds, shapes and representations to affright and afflict others at his pleasure. So here is Dio Lawson kind of putting forth the theological justification for spectral evidence that the devil can do this. That Satan might do directly by suggesting to the victims' minds or indirectly through mortal converts, the witches who let the devil use their bodies and minds, shapes, and representations to affright and afflict others at his pleasure. Surely, the defection of church members, the presumed elect, was part of a plot to divide the churches internally and to overthrow God's people in New England. However, Lawson emphasized no one had yet been proven guilty of this crime, and such an ac- accusation would be a matter of deep humiliation as, as to such as are innocent. So he, he seems to put forth the possibility, but he tries to say, you know, hey, wait a minute, we, you know, no one should be found guilty because of this evidence alone. He tries to offer a balance a little bit. He fervently hoped no one was guilty of witchcraft and advised his listeners to look to their own improvements rather than to suppose that their own lives never encouraged the devil. So he says, hey, instead of worrying about anybody else, look to yourself. Okay, that's good. But remember, this is March the 24th, 1692. We already got the beginnings of the hysteria have already started. Now, he's trying to offer some kind of balance, but... Is anyone going to hear the balance? While neighbors speculated or decided who else among them might be a witch, and while the subdued afflicted uh, afflicted wondered who sent their pains, Lawson warned that their in- introvert anger and ill will makes way for the devil. Therefore, he urged them, give no place to the devil by rash censoring of others without sufficient grounds or falsely accusing any. Willingly. But the audience paid more attention to Lawson's statement that witches allowed Satan to use their specters more than they recalled his warning against Satan's false representations. See, so they're just like, hey, hey see, he's, he's saying the specters can be used, that witches will give Satan the permission to use their specter. That's what they hear. They don't hear about any like, Whoa, hey, Satan could also be tricking you. No, they, they don't listen to that part. The magistrates heard Lawson's advice that they, that they, that they prosecute. Hang on, let me go back here. The magistrates heard Lawson's advice that they prosecute evildoers and protect the innocent, but did not take to heart his admonition to use all regular ways and means. They're according to the rule of God to discover witches. Legal methods, not torture or folk test. Goody Sibley heard him warn against the risk of magic itself and uh, a form of witchcraft, even if intended to help the afflicted discourage the burning of hair, boiling of urine to hurt a witch, or scratching a suspect suspect to weaken her power. The girls who had tried fortune-telling listened with varying attention as he condemned the use of, of sieve and shears, uh, Bible and key or egg white and a glass. Householders heard the old warnings against the horseshoes on the threshold and hold stones above the hay rick. But more than this, Lawson would not say, lest the foolishly desperate copy the methods. Instead, he recommended prayer and trust in God. Devils, according to the afflicted, must must mustered like a militia in Salem village. So Lawson used a common military metaphor for prayer when he urged the people to put on the whole armor of God as protection against the devil's wiles and to arm, 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 Arm the armor the armor represented truth, righteousness, peace, salvation, and the word of God. so to arm he explained, meant to pray, pray, pray. Lawson's warlike phrasing, especially in a time of imminent frontier attack, seemed to make a greater impression on his audience than his precautions. Let us admit no par- parley. Given, uh, let's let us admit no parley, give no quarter. Let none of Satan's forces or furies, which would include witches, be more vigilant to hurt us than we are to resist and repress them. In the long run, however, Lawson concluded they would all do well to remember that Satan could not win; Christ had already overcome him. All Satan's struggles now are but those of a conquered enemy. But despite the arrest. And Lawson's cautions, the afflicted were badly agitated this evening, nor did old Giles Corey know what to think of his arrested wife, Martha. At some time during the day, he'd relayed the suspicious goings-ons at home to Reverend no- Noyes, who had made notes of the events. So that sermon, even though it seemed to try to offer a balance, people just took away there's an army of demons after us in Salem. We've got to arm ourselves. They, they think of this. We've got to fight. We've got to stand. We've got to get rid of this. And the devils or the witches use specters. And so if someone is being tormented by a specter, that's well within the ability and power of Satan and witches to do that very thing. Now, I wish we had the whole sermon, wish we could find out that sermon, and read all of it. He tried to offer a balance, but if there's one thing I know in preaching, it's one thing I know in doing Christian podcast, I can spend 45 minutes talking about something and someone will either leave a comment or or send me an email and they'll make some accusation or say something. I'm like, you, I don't think you heard the entire broadcast. So people have a tendency to hear what they want. Now you could argue, should he have been preaching a different kind of sermon should have been calling for people to be rational and thoughtful and seek the truth and not make false accusations and not lie and not deceive you I think that's probably the direction you should have went but I didn't live you know in March of 1692 in Salem so so there's his name becomes important so now let me go back to this article another prominent form of spectral evidence Uh, was the appearance of the spirits of the dead, as Minister Diodat Lawson wrote. Now, here's another quote from him. They affirmed that they saw the ghost of several departed persons, who at their appearing did instigate them to discover such as they said were instruments to hasten their deaths, threatening solely to afflict them if they did not make it known to the magistrates. In May 1692, remember that kind of court? Remember we talked about it? Remember that kind of court? Oyer and Terminer. All right, now they they say it differently. Orier and Termine. Some say Terminer. I would say Terminer if I go through it. Now I'm I'm good. I'm glad to know Orier, Orier or Orier and Terminer is a way of saying it. Uh, typically um it's it's shown to be completely different. So that's funny. I just had that pulled up in a different from a different uh pronunciation. I love that because then that means I've never st- stated it incorrectly. But Orier and Terminae is the way I heard it pronounced frequently. But Orier and Terminer makes much more sense to my Texas mind. All right, all right But that court in May uh, sixteen ninety two, a court of Orier and Terminer or Orier and Terminae, was established to try these cases. However, the court faced the problem of how much weight to give to spectral evidence. During the pretrial hearings, various other types of evidence had been brought against the accused, including the evidence of ordinary witchcrafts, i.e. the casting of spells resulting in injury or property damage, the discovery of puppets and witches' marks, and signs of unusual physical strength. Now, a witch's mark could be anything. You could have a freckle, you could have a birthmark, you could have a mole, you're a witch. Okay, another crazy thing. And in some cases, it sounded like it was very messed up the way they did that because they take the women, strip the women down, yeah, and examine their bodies. I mean, some of the stuff that was going down in Salem was just horrifying. But here we go. But only the spectral evidence had been gathered for every case. So all of these other supposed things of evidence, even though they were possible, only the spectral evidence had been gathered for every case. Furthermore, of the 156 people taken into custody before the court suspended its activities in September, were char- 79 were charged on the basis of spectral evidence alone. The strength of spectral evidence was based on the assumption that the devil could not assume another person's shape without their consent. That was the argument. Le- hey, I can't be seeing your specter because you, uh, unless you gave Satan permission for it to show up in my house. Diodat Lawson stressed this point in a sermon preached on 24 March. He explained that the devil, wherever possible, binds into his service those that make a visible profession of holiness in order to more readily pervert others to consenting unto his subjection. This was an attempt to ally doubts about the facts that some of the accused, such as Nurse and Corey, were well-respected community members with a reputation for piety. Now, he may have been trying to do that. Again, I want the whole sermon, I want to find that whole March the 24th sermon by Dia Lawson. I think it would just be an interesting historical examination. But all right, because it sounds like he tried to, in some cases he seems to clearly seem to say the devil could do it, but then he tried to pull back and say in other cases they couldn't. However, Puritan minister Cotton Mather took a different view. In a letter to magistrate John Richards, Mather advised the court not to place too much stress upon spectral evidence because it is, it is very certain that the devils have sometimes represented the shapes of persons not only innocent, but also very virtuous. He suggested that spectral evidence should be taken, should not, or he suggested that spectral evidence should be taken as a presumption of guilt, but would not in itself be sufficient for a conviction. So, Count Mather said, "Yes, we can use spectral evidence, but it should not be the thing that leads to a conviction. It can it can be, it, it can it can be a presumption of guilt." Um. And then it goes on to talk about uh, some of the other issues that happen here. Um, by the by, the time uh, the Court of Orier and Terminar or Aurier and Terminé was adjourned with the exception of reconvening before long. By this time, however, with 19 people hanged, one, Giles Corey, crushed to death. Criticism of the trials were becoming increasingly vocal. On uh, 8 October, an influential Boston merchant, Thomas Brattle, wrote an open letter arguing against the unjust proceedings of the court. Brattle rejected the validity of spectral evidence, which he claimed was the only pertinent evidence brought against any of the accused. I think it is clear he wrote that the prisoners at the bar is brought in guilty and condemned merely from the evidence of the afflicted person. He urged he argued that the judges were therefore receiving testimony from the devil and thought it strange that they should be far they would give ear to the devil as merely upon the authority to issue out their warrants and apprehend people. One proof battle give gave against spectral evidence was the following. And I quote, these afflicted persons do say, and often have declared it that they can see specters when their eyes are shut as well as when they are open. I'm sure they lie at least speak falsely. If they say so for the thing in nature, it is utterly, it is utter impossibility It is true they may strongly fancy or have things represented to their imagination when their eyes are shut. And I think this is all which ought to be allowed to these blind, nonsensical girls. There was at least someone trying to say, hey, these girls. But there were others at the time who tried to say these girls should not be believed. And well, then they were accused of being a witch. And oh, wait, then they were killed. Okay, so um, I think he was in Boston, so he probably was far enough away that nobody would accuse him. Um, And they go on. There's a lot here. Um, Cotton Mather defended the court's methods in his book, The Wonders of the Invisible World. I have that book here on my Kindle, which began circulating in a manuscript formed in October, but was not published until the following year. While admitting the possibility that among persons represented by the specters, which now afflict our neighbors, there will be found some that never explicitly contracted with any of the evil angels. He suggested that these people may have been guilty of lesser offenses, for which reason God had permitted the devil to bring in these lesser ones with the rest of those uh, for their perpetual humiliation. Mather also cited the precedent of previous trials, including the Barry St. Edmund's case. Cotton's father, okay, and so then they go on to talk about all the, the different approaches. The issue is spectral evidence. Everyone seemed to have an opinion, but whether they tried to offer a warning, even if at some point they tried to stay against it, not most of everyone involved in the Salem witch trials went along with it, and maybe even after attempted to defend its usage. Now, I spent 54 minutes Going through all of that. My question is this that craziness has it not remained in certain parts of Christianity even until 2023? Spectral evidence where charismatic leaders will claim, I saw this and I saw this and a demon appeared here and Jesus showed up here and an angel showed up here. Don't they make all of these claims? And in many cases, people take them as speaking the truth. As Now, they may not be leading to people being murdered, but they're still... Putting forth some kind of spectral evidence, some kind of vision, something they supposedly saw, and then they go on to write books and sell and get big churches and become, well, supposed influential in the world of Christianity. Hasn't that kind of craziness and almost—I don't know—I don't know what word you want to use for it, but definitely. Uh, That kind of mindset has crept into Christianity, but I want to think about it from this perspective. How frequently have Christians throughout church history, once we have the boogeyman in place, right there, it was witches. Whether it's Satanism, whatever it may be, you name whatever the, the boogeyman is at any given time. It doesn't matter if it's critical race theory. It doesn't matter if it things to do with LGBTQ. Isn't it amazing how we'll start accepting any evidence and condemning things and, and, and going crazy, even if, well, one, the evidence may not be anywhere close to what we claim it is. And two, sometimes the logic we use and using that as evidence, we don't, we're not consistent in how we apply that to everything How could Christians and learned preachers and theologians fall for the concept of spectral evidence and let it lead them to calling for the death and killing of their fellow citizens, in many cases of fellow members of their own church? The situation was crazy, and I just think sometimes it hasn't changed a lot. It, it, it's evolved. It's it's maybe morphed into into bec- that that way of thinking has come into. I, I, I've seen Christians who are so conspiratorial. Who they, they it doesn't they once they once they have their boogeyman. Once they have their their villain. they're, They're all rationality, logic, and reason leaves the room. It flees from them. And then they are left with just almost superstitious, just almost brainwashed mentality. And you can't speak any truth to them. I want you to think about spectral evidence. Thank goodness it was thrown out of our courts. Thank goodness it was rejected. But there, the town supposedly, based off the word of God and theology and scripture and, and you know, a godly, use spectral evidence to kill people. Now, you may want to try to justify it or explain it away. I don't believe there's any explanation or excuse that can be offered. I do understand. Well, they were in 1692. I understand this kind of thing. But man, that would just demonstrate once again, Christians were more influenced by the culture than Christians was ever in- influencing the culture. And even that culture that was controlled basically by quote-unquote Puritanism and Christianity was just a subject, subject to all the wrongs and craziness that the world is. If you go to Salem, know the term spectral evidence. If you read about Salem, know the term spectral evidence. Love to get your thoughts on all of this today. You can email me, newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. Thought I would share a little bit about this, mainly because I've just been, I've read so much about spectral evidence over the last week, heard so much conversation about spectral evidence in Salem uh, that I had to at least share some of this information. Dot Lawson and that sermon for March the 24th. Um, it would be interesting. Cotton Mather, his writings are easily available. You can find Cotton Mather's writings and his sermons. Some of them, well, yeah, you can try reading some of it and tell me what you think. Some of it's like very like, what just could you get to the point? What are you trying to say? But you can, you can look at that for yourself. All right. I feel like there's something else I should say, but I just, I really kind of want to leave it there. I don't know if it leaves you just kind of depressed and discouraged. It leaves me like what, what happened not only then, but I, sometimes I, I see the same thing. Oh, that's true. Someone just says AI created articles and images may be used as a as a newer source for uh, for spectral evidence in a way. It's not validated, but used as ev- well, That's true. If if uh, you know, well, there there was a, a video someone sent me a long time ago. Will AI created videos or AI created images be used by charismatics to try to prove a miracle or try to prove something supernatural happened? Now I'm assuming people all over the place will use these kinds of things, but it just—it just once again, I, one of the things I, I've always loved about Christianity is Christianity's Christianity as a worldview seems to demand there is absolute truth, and that we put away lies and we speak the truth, we seek the truth, we don't make false accusations, we don't bear false witness. But all I've seen my entire life within Christianity is uh, over and over and over, this desire for conspiracy and, and accusations and and just no it not it, it doesn't seem a rigorous truth uh, pursuit of truth. It's a rigorous pursuit of truth used for your own sanctimonious advantage. But there you have it. Spectral evidence. In the Salem witch trials. Thanks for listening. Email me, newsif atyahoo.com. At Everyone have a wonderful day. God bless.